546. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more info about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash SpiritBladeProductions. On the show today, it is last week we had a, like a, a double dose of movies. This week it's a double dose of video games as I review uh, Path of Exile for the PlayStation 4, a game I've really been looking forward to for a while, and also a game you might not have heard of, an, an open-world Souls-like, if you can believe there's such a thing, called Outward. But if video games aren't your thing, stick around. We're going to take a look at the book of James, and I'm going to go through what I think are some very important things to understand about what James is not saying about salvation in chapter one. All right. You guys ready for the weekend? I'm ready for the weekend, but I am running behind schedule. So here we go. Nice. Another achievement unlocked. But I got more achievements than anybody I know. Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement. See, this is why I don't like talking to you. Then why don't you spend more time with real people? Because real people don't respond to console commands. Wow, Peter. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold, you are great, and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. After many delays (laughs) for its appearance on the PlayStation 4... Finally, Path of Exile came to uh, the console this week. This I- I've talked about this game before. I think the first time I talked about it was years ago as part of our celebration of the Summer of Free, which is coming up. My gosh, I need to start probably preparing for it. Uh, but that's a, a, an annual event at Christian Geek Central where uh, I spend the summer uh, sporadically highlighting free entertainment that's worth checking out and has appeal for geeks that you can find uh, online for free. And Path of Exile is probably the most impressive, truly free-to-play video game I've ever played. Uh, And I say truly free because it's well-known for not having anything aside from I was going to say anything aside from cosmetic microtransactions, and I think they would possibly still defend that. Actually, there there is a microtransaction that you can buy that is practical, but uh, anyway, I'll get to that maybe a little bit later. Uh, anyway, this is a Diablo clone, and it came out, mm, give or take, around a year or so, I think, around the time that Diablo 3 came out, and was what a lot of Diablo 2 fans wanted Diablo 3 to be. 
It's uh, less colorful, it's more grim and gritty and dreary, and the basic premise is that you are in this fantasy world and you are an outcast, a criminal, who's been sentenced to a continent called Rayclast, where you have to just kind of fend for yourself and kind of earn your redemption, uh, seems to be the case. And the fantasy world is dominated by some kind of a monotheistic... Catholic Church stand-in. I mean, it's clearly, you know, fantasy gods that they're worshipping. Or it is it is monotheism, but as I looked into the lore of Path of Exile, it does appear to be a polytheistic world, but you wouldn't know it from the opening hours of this game, I don't think, unless you're really looking closely. Uh, it seems to be very monotheistic, and, and actually a theocracy, so a government that is run by the uh, religious organization, or they would say by by God, by their God that they worship. And uh, so, but, but, you know, it, it clearly has the trappings of a corrupt uh, organization and stuff. So it, it's that same kind of like old, tired out, you know, uh, fantasy trope of, okay, we're in a fantasy world and there's a church and they have lots of trappings of medieval Catholicism. And uh, of course they're hypocritical and they're going to be, you know, all these bad things and oppressive and stuff like that. So it's gotten to the point where, you know, when I see that in a bit of fantasy entertainment, be it a book or movie or video game or something, I, I just think, man, are we, are, are we like done making any kind of statement anymore? Is this just like so married to <laughs> medieval inspired fantasy that like it, people feel like, well, you got to have it in there. It's like goblins and trolls, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's medieval fantasy. You got to have this in there. So, uh, so I, I don't know if they're really trying to say anything, but, uh, anyway, it, the lore is really backdrop to the moment-to-moment gameplay, which is all about that l- that looting and upgrading loot. And uh, I'm really enjoying it for that. It is an online game, I almost want to say technically. You can play it with others, but I am like uh, a hermit gamer. I just don't like playing online games at all. And it's even pretty rare for me to do like couch co-op type games. Um, but this game you can totally play like... I want want to say off like an offline game. Honestly, I didn't test to see if I would be able to play the game without any kind of connection um, or not. But the only time you're going to see other players that you don't invite into your own game is when you're in like the the hub starting town or whatever. Uh, Maybe there's another town later on I haven't gotten to yet where you'll you'll see more players. But there you you have to go out of your way to interact with other players uh, there. I haven't been getting any messages or requests to join or, you know, stuff like that. Like when I would go to DC universe online, which is an MMO, I would get people now and then, you know, just random strangers who would, you know, send me messages or ask me to team up with them or, you know, whatever. Uh, And it's not that kind of thing at all. Uh, It very much plays like a solo game. And I didn't experience any added difficulty because of that. I felt like I was definitely strong enough to take on all the challenges they were asking me to take on. Um, There are, though, some, some, some tells that this is an online game. One is when you select a name for your character... Uh, don't go in thinking you're going to be able to use your favorite uh, character name. I wanted to use, in this case, Morrigan, because uh, Morrigan is uh, my is a character that I like from the Dragon Age uh, Dragon Age Origins, partially because she was voiced by Claudia Black of, of Farscape. But no, but I like the character too. I found her interesting, and I thought she really got uh, shortchanged when the sequels came, and you know she really wasn't present in them at all. So there are a couple games where if I can be a magic user in a third person game, I'll make it a female uh, and and call her Morgan. Well, I couldn't do that. Morgan was taken, 
And I even had to, like, if you're going to use a name with, I, I switched then to Ebony Ravenloft, which I usually just use for, like, stealth assassin type characters. But uh, no, I, I went with Ebony Ravenloft, but I, I couldn't even use a, a space. You have to have an underscore in there. So it just, so you're going to run into, you're going to have to name your character something that probably is, you know, looks like a username much more than a character name. Um, which was kind of lame. But anyway, also you're likely to see achievement alerts while you play the game. Maybe this was just because it was the first few days on PS4 that I was seeing this kind of stuff, but it, suddenly a message would show up on the bottom of the screen saying, so-and-so username is the, you know, is the first to reach blah, blah, blah island, or is the first to do this, or the first to do that, you know, and I know they're trying to create incentive for you to get on there to keep playing, and maybe you can be the first at something, and everyone will know how cool you are, but I was just like, crap, can I turn that off? That's just freaking distracting. It didn't really, you know, distract me enough to mess up my play or anything like that. It's just a little message at the bottom of the screen, but it's still like, just really, come on, you know, and I also ran into some connection issues where I was notified that you've left the party, you have left the party, I'm like, I never joined a party. I never started a party. I didn't do any. What are you talking about? You've left the party. So anyway, uh, but other than that, I really, and and seeing other users running around, you know, there's no interaction. So you can totally play it as a hermit gamer, um, which is the only way I would do it. Um, now it's, it has for years been on PC. It came to Xbox One, I want to say a couple of years ago, two or three years ago maybe. Uh, it's, the, the game originally came out, I want to say, in like 2013. So it's been around for a while. But these guys at Grinding Gear Games update this game so frequently and have added so much cool content over the years that there's just a wealth of it now. And yes, it's all free on the PlayStation 4. It doesn't even require a PlayStation Plus account, uh, despite it being an online game. So it, you may need ps plus to team up with others i'm not sure but to play the game to download it you can play this completely free um so and i may say this later but if you've never tried like a diablo style game before and you're wondering if they might be your thing this is and you have a ps4 there's no there's no barrier to entry here you know just some hard drive space uh so i would definitely recommend checking it out if you've never played any games in this genre before and want to try one out and you have a playstation 4 or if you're if you have a pc for that matter it's free on pc and uh um uh, yeah i'm not sure what the specs are on pc anyway i'm just talking about the ps4 and speaking of the transition to console, and I'll just talk about PS4 anyway, uh, really worked out well. I think that you can really make some big mistakes when you're moving a game that's very point-and-click oriented to a gamepad. And I really am happy with how they handled this. Movement, there's a little bit of delay when I am pressing the movement stick to move my character and then I let go of the stick. My character will still move just a couple steps beyond that. I'm like, ah, I don't really like that. But this isn't the kind of game where you have to have precise control over your character. The same with targeting, you know. The way targeting works for ranged attacks or spells is you just move your character like face them toward the enemy you know or usually you know it's a small group of enemies and one of them will be highlighted in red uh, and I'm sure that's based on some kind of invisible line of sight cone that's being created as you you know move your character or to have them face a direction or move in that direction um, and the you know, enemies highlighted and then you just you know hit your x button or your square button or whatever attack you're triggering and you know it it sends off the attack to them and it works just fine and when that character get when that enemy gets killed the next nearest one in your you know invisible sight cone gets 
highlighted in red and you just continue attacking them. So it's not hard at all to uh, attack the creatures that you're wanting to attack um, unless they're like really close together and, you know, coming at you uh, side by side, in which case it doesn't really matter, you know, which one you end up killing first because they're both coming at you and they're both in equal distance from you. So um, the loot pickup I initially had some problems with because uh, even though you don't get a shower of loot, which I do appreciate it, the, the, you know, I like the looting to be a worthwhile experience and not just give me a bunch of crap to, you know, laboriously have to sort through. But you would still, you know, frequently get, you know, three to five items dropped on the ground. Uh, and maybe you're only interested in one of them. And when you have such limited inventory space, which I'll get to in a second, you you do have to be choosy, I think, unless you want to be taking a, making a ton of trips back to the town, and that was going to be too much trouble for me to do. So, uh, But I discovered that using the right analog stick, you could cycle through items that were, you know, kind of laying on the ground next to each other to select specifically the one that you want to pick up. This was not told to me in any in-game tutorial type things or tooltips or anything like that, I discovered it at random. And this highlights one of the things that I think is probably going to be true about the game, and that is that there will be, there's, there's going to be depths to explore in this game that you'll just have to get online and read wikis and stuff to figure out. I don't think it's necessary, though, because I was blindly just making my way through this game, and I didn't feel like I was... Su- it's not a, I don't find it to be hard. Um, I, I, I find myself, like I said earlier, fully prepared and up to the task of, you know, whatever enemies that they throw at me. So, but if you want to, maybe in the post game or maybe later in the game, the difficulty will ramp up a lot. I don't know yet. I'm I'm only about five hours, five or six hours into it. So it's possible that later in the game, you'll have incentive to really understand what all of your stats mean and what all of these, you know, things mean when like you open up a, a weapon and it has like a huge wall of stats and text and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, I don't understand, you know, a bunch of that. And I'm still, you know, finding my experience to be really fun and easygoing. And uh, yeah, so um, on the subject of uh, inventory and stash, the the one thing that you can, that's not cosmetic, because you can buy like different animations and special things that your character can wear that have no effect on your capability in the game. So they don't give you an, an advantage at all in the game. It's purely cosmetic. But you can upgrade the amount of space you have in your stash. That's not your inventory, which is what you can carry on your person, but your stash back at the, at the home base. And I, I don't see any reason to do that at this point. I've got like four huge uh, tabs, you know, that, I, that I've... I, right now, five hours into the game... There's 10 acts, and I'm not past... I, I might have just finished Act 1. I'm not sure. I'll have to double-check. But uh, I've only f- filled up, like, a sliver of one of those four pages in, in my stash tabs. So I, I would be surprised if I felt the need to to pay any money to increase the size of my stash. Who knows? We'll see. You know, with these kinds of free-to-play games, you know, even uh, the best of them can sometimes change halfway through uh, to make the things they want to sell you a little more enticing, but I don't know. Um, let's see here. Oh, the, the, I'm really happy with the loot and the, the pace of the loot and progression, uh, the character progression. I felt like every about every five minutes or so, maybe a little less, something was upgrading. Either I reached a new level and so I had some skill points I could spend 
or one of my gems would uh, upgrade. Now, this is worth mentioning. The the skills, the abilities that you have in this game, like the, the active abilities, like special attacks and spells and stuff, those are all in gems that you find or that you purchase. And you keep these gems and put them in slots in your equipment, and they level up and become more powerful as you use them in combat. Uh, but they are not the same as you, you know? Um, and so you might get a, one, a level one fireball gem and it gets up to level 7 and then you discover another level 1 fireball gem. So they're 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 going to be two very different gems in terms of their of their capability because one you've had on you and been leveling leveling up as you've been playing. So um it's kind of an interesting system. The 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 skill system that you can upgrade, you know, your character with are all passive passive abilities. So it's going to increase your mana regeneration or your total mana pools, things like that. Um your casting speed, stuff like that. Um and I find that the, the progression system is really satisfying as far as like the pace at which I'm finding new useful equipment or the pace at which I am upgrading a gem or gaining a level and having points to spend. In fact, at this point, um, I, I don't want to say I'm over leveled. I have about seven uh, skill points to spend and that's I've gained that over the course of about three or four level ups at which I did not do any upgrading of my passive skill tree um, and so when I'm playing a new RPG I usually try to hold on to those skill points as long as I can until I figure out where they're going to be you know most useful to spend to compensate for my weaknesses so that's that's why I'm doing that right now but I don't feel like I'm overpowered or I, I imagine at some point it will be you know I'll be ready to spend those in fact I think I'm getting pretty close to that but uh, and there is a massive massive skill tree I mean, it's, oh my gosh, uh, I'll, I'll let you, you know, watch a, a proper review or listen to a proper review of Path of Exile to really get a sense of how massive this skill tree is. But there's so many ways that you can customize your character. You start in one of these basic classes, you know, like your, your barbarian type or your uh, magic user type or your rogue type or your cleric type or whatever. But you can uh, move around on that skill tree in ways that allow you to mix and match the abilities of multiple classes and kind of create your own custom made, you know, build. It's what one of the things this game is famous for is all the different crazy kinds of builds that people come up with that figure out how to game the system so they can just have this awesomely powerful character, you know. One of the things also I've heard about this game that does concern me potentially is that you can get your you can dig yourself into a hole uh, down the line. Uh, you might try to be creative with your build and realize at some point, oh man, I've kind of screwed up the way I've spent these things and now I'm in trouble and I, I have this weakness in my character that uh, the situation in front of me is exposing and I don't have enough skill points to upgrade in the right ways so I can get past this area or whatever. Um, I It's hard for me to imagine that happening at this point, but that's one of the reasons I'm hanging on to my skill points as long as I can uh, as I'm making my way through the game. That also might be, I'm not clear, it might be a phenomenon that's more common to the post- campaign game which there's a bunch of stuff to do after that i mean there's leagues and people are really big into you know the post game stuff but i'm really only in in this for the the campaign so um let's see here um okay the world aesthetic i already mentioned that this is you know a really kind of a dark kind of game um i've talked about this topic before but just in case you're kind of new to the christian geek central podcast or christian geek central in general if you're wondering gosh can a christian play this kind of game and still be spiritually healthy you know this is a really dark setting um it's putting forward some ideas that certainly would conflict with what scripture teaches you know in terms of spirit uh spiritual issues uh and it's just a really dreary 
resetting? I mean, should should we be, you know, sitting, settling our minds into this kind of fictional world for extended periods of time? And so uh, if you're asking that question right now, I want to recommend that you go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral and check out the video, Can Christians Be Evil in Games? Now, arguably in this game, you're not necessarily playing an evil character. I mean, who knows? You might be the only sane person in this corrupt uh, world and you know you've been sent unfairly to this prison island or maybe you're guilty of the crimes they're saying you're guilty of I don't know I mean it just depends on how you look at it but the things that I bring out in that video it's a fairly extensive video it's I think over 30 minutes Um, I really tried to be as exhaustive as I could on the topic there's a ton there that would apply to the question of is it spiritually healthy or okay for me to maybe play a a character that's not evil but be in this setting that's very dark and dreary and lots of evil stuff going on in the setting so anyway again that video is called can christians be evil in games at youtube.com slash christian geek central um like i said the game difficulty i'm not finding it difficult at all um there i haven't had to do any grinding but grinding is absolutely very possible if you leave an area for just like 10 minutes and come back to it it will be rearranged and all the enemies respawn all the treasure will the treasure chests will be loaded back up again and so you can totally grind in this game if you get stuck um and that's uh, that, that's something i really really appreciate in games like this so um as for my closing thoughts this is really what i wanted and hoped for you know i really liked what i experienced of the game on pc i just didn't want to be playing a game in that mouse and keyboard position at the end of my workday. I wanted to just slouch and sag and play with a gamepad in my hand. Um, And I tend to like Diablo clones more than I like the Diablo games themselves, especially uh, since Diablo 3 has a lot of swarming. They can just fill the screen with so many enemies that it feels like busy for busyness sake. And this one does have some indications that there will be swarming and that there is a little bit of swarming in the first five hours, but I I also felt like each enemy was more meaningful than the average enemy I would run into in a Diablo 3. And so I I appreciate that. It feels, you know, it doesn't feel like a chore and then I'm just like uh, vacuuming up or blowing away, you know, just a, a, a swath of, of meaningless gnat enemies, you know. No, I felt like every one of these enemies, I, it's very important that I kill, you know, because just one of them getting through could uh, could really do some damage to me. So um, anyway, I, I'm really enjoying my time with this game. I will likely spend many more hours in it. Again, that's Path of Exile free on Xbox One uh, PC and now PlayStation 4. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. This week at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, I posted the video, How uh, Should Geeks Express Criticism?, which I shared on the podcast last week. The video version of that is up now on our YouTube channel. Also, the video, Path of Exile, or Are We Godforsaken Church Victims? Uh, that's a trial and error review video that's different entirely from what you heard of me talking about uh, of Path of Exile on the uh, on the podcast here that basically is an edited down chronicle of my first five hours playing the game as i stumble my way through and make comments along the way of what i like what i don't like 
and stuff like that. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that. And hopefully that'll have some entertainment value for you. So uh, if you want more Path of Exile and specifically you want to see me bumbling around in it, you can check out that video, Path of Exile, or Are We Godforsaken Church Victims? My Trial and Error Review. And then also, uh, fairly uncommon to have two Trial and Error videos in a week, but you can uh, find Outward PS4 or Difficult Isn't realistic my trial and error video review same concept first five hours edited down of me bumbling through the game a little more so with outward than with path of exile and uh yeah i'm talking about outward ps4 as i play it uh let's see here christian geekly news highlights from our twitter feed at christian underscore geek include christ-centered gamer has posted a review for the ps4 game earth defense force 5 Oh, man, I thought my phone was going off. It's just my son practicing piano in the next room. That was crazy. Uh, and then also Lorehaven Magazine. Did you guys wonder where I went for a second? Lorehaven Magazine's spring 2019 issue has arrived. Uh, the, the description reads, Explore story layers with Tosca Lee, read book reviews, and get practical help for Christian geeks and parents. And I'll also add that I wrote an article about discerning uh, how much pleasure in our lives is too much that's included in Lorehaven's spring 2019 issue. Uh, Firmament is the new game on Kickstarter from the Christian dev who makes mainstream games like Myst and Obduction. Cyan Incorporated announced Firmament is the next step in the evolution of Cyan. Deeply rooted in the spirit of the of Myst, Riven, and Obduction, welcome to an all-new enigmatic narrative adventure. And the Retro Rewind podcast uh, has released episode 171. The description reads, 1988 is filled with explosions, F-bombs, and action. What the holidays are all about. For links to all those stories and to stay up to date on the notable news and announcements from the wider world of Christian geekery, be sure to follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. Guys, there's a ton of content rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central, movie and video game reviews, an ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek application, Christian Geek industry news, gaming live streams, and a bunch more. For as little as $1 a month, you can help make sure all that content keeps going and growing into the future and get yourself some exclusive content as well. I want to say again, I'm so grateful, guys, all of you who are supporting me as Spirit Blade Insiders, you make it possible for me to continue in this work that I'm doing. Thank you so much. For more information, visit patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. This week, I also had the chance to play Outward on PlayStation 4. Um, this is kind of like a, a Souls-like game, but in an open fantasy world. It's a uh, third person, and the, the basic premise, as they've described it, is that, you know, what if you were... Uh, in this fantasy world, in a third-person game, action RPG, but you're not some great hero. You're not a chosen one, and you don't you don't have the ability to just immediately start mowing down bad guys, or really ever just mowing down bad guys because you are the awesome chosen one. But no, you're a regular person, and you've got to figure out just how to survive in this world and maybe become the hero. You know, um, the 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 combat is what you would expect from this type of game. It's got like a stamina meter that is 
really essential to keep track of because it determines what kinds of combat moves you can do at you know what times and if you just keep spamming you know the, the your most powerful attack or any attack over and over again you're just going to wear yourself out and be huffing and puffing and then get killed really quick um, it also has as you would expect from those types of games delayed response in the controls and this is I mean, I got to tell you, I don't like difficult games. I, I should have said that at the very beginning. I don't like difficult games. I don't like Souls-like games. But when games are described these days as Souls-like, it's almost like describing a game as a Metroidvania. I'm like, well, what do you mean by Metroidvania? You know, do you mean that there's like like the Castlevania side-scrolling games that uh, Igarashi created that have like the cool leveling up and looting systems and stuff? If so, I'm in. But if you're just talking about, you know, a, a map that you retrace your steps in a lot, I'm not necessarily interested in that. And likewise, Souls-like games sometimes have brutally difficult combat that sometimes it's just kind of challenging and it has a stamina system and that's you know really all it ends up being um, and it's not punishingly difficult in the same way that Bloodborne or Dark Souls and Demon Souls and stuff like that have been so uh, I, that's why I was willing to give this a try I thought well maybe m- maybe there's some way I could get through if it is you know I knew there's like if it's as, if it's as difficult as the Souls games I have no hope I'm, I'm not going to have patience or skill to, to make my way through that kind of experience but I love open world RPGs I love the chance to, you know, be in a fantasy world and to use magic as in a third-person RPG or really any open-world RPG to be a like a dedicated magic user. And this does have a very elaborate magic system. But looking at the preview materials, even going in is like ah, that looks like a lot of hassle just to cast a simple spell. <laughs> which I'll get to that in a little bit. But I decided going in, okay, no, I, I'm I'm just gonna you know do whatever is gonna make life easiest for me. Uh, at least at the start, to see how, you know, what kind of difficulty we're talking about here. Um, And it's plenty difficult. Um, That delayed response, I mean, we're talking about like a button press followed by, let's see, let's like uh, hit, count, count, swing. Is that too much? Hit, count, you know, maybe like a hit, count, swing. But what I don't want hit, count, swing, uh, or, or click, count, swing. I want click, swing, click, swing, click, swing. You know, I I, I want it to be almost instantaneous. Uh, that, but you know, I, I knew going in that it was going to be that kind of delayed combat. And again, the reason I wanted to give it a try was because I thought if it if I can deal with the combat, then there could be a lot here I would really enjoy. I've come to enjoy survival mechanics in games since playing No Man's Sky and Conan Exile and, to a degree, Dragon Quest Builders. I, I began to understand the appeal of those types of mechanics. And so, an open-world third-person action RPG that had survival and crafting mechanics, you know, where you have to eat and you have to sleep and you have to, you know, take care of yourself because of temperature or, or diseases that you can catch and, and excuse me, and you have to, uh, you hunt for food and you have to cook it so it won't be raw and do damage, you know, like mess you up and poison you or whatever. Um, I, I, I've gained an appreciation for those kinds of things. And so I really wanted this, this game to work. I wanted to give it a try. And, um, but the other thing is with, uh, with the delayed combat stuff, which I really do not like, cause I'm, I'm a button masher. I just panic. I panic. <laughs> get into a combat situation like oh that thing is really scary mash 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 you know so i cannot be counted on to keep it cool and do your sequenced button presses in the special cool calm way you know that uh, no no 
<laughs> That's never going to work for me, I don't think. But I, you know, discovered that I could button mash my way through Monster Hunter World, which is another game that has delayed uh, animation response in combat, um, even with the fastest weapon, which I ended up using. But I, I found I was able to button mash my way through that. I was able to basically mitigate that weakness in me as a player by other things that I could take advantage of within the game's systems. And so I was like, what if I could do that with Outward? That would be so cool to have, you know, an, a, this open world RPG with those kinds of systems in place. And so, uh, but, oh man, I, I wasn't really able to... Um, I wasn't really able to mitigate the, the problems I was having with the combat quite in the time that I spent playing it, which was about five hours. I think I have reason to believe that I could potentially, but I don't know if I will bother. Let me get back into my notes here. So combat has stamina, got delayed response. There's blocking that, you know, you, you need to strategically block and dodge and stuff. And that's going to use up stamina as well. And even when you block with your shield or whatever, you've got a stability meter that shows up when you block. And that thing depletes. When it gets to 50%, you can be knocked back. When it gets all the way depleted, you'll get knocked down by an attack. So you've got a health bar, a stamina bar, and a stability meter to keep track of in combat. I'm like, ah, this is getting a little bit uh, arbitrarily punishing. <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm sure other people are really into this, but that's uh, that that point of, you know, of interest in quote-unquote realism is going to be different for everybody. Eventually, you know, none of us want to spend three hours in the bathroom when our video game character gets poisoned. <laughs> you know? So we, we all have a point at which we do not want realism in our games. We want there to be a separation between what our character in the game experiences and what pains in the butt we as a player experience and my threshold just comes a whole lot sooner <laughs> than a lot of other gamers so uh it also has um a skill system you can map different skills to your quick slots uh which you know works fine with the gamepad but it's it's a weird kind of like layered skill system like i found in order to do this basic leap forward attack i first had to activate a rage mode which is a separate skill unto itself i have to do activate rage mode and then once rage mode is in place which only lasts for a certain number of seconds then i can use this other skill which is completely useless unless i have first activated rage mode so i'm it's just like this, uh, I want to say unnecessary step. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure someone else could ex could appreciate it and those kind of layers to it. Where I can appreciate that conceptually more is in their magic system. In the magic system, you have to have components for spells, and you have to, I think almost every time, use those components to then create a sigil on the ground, this big symbol that's like a big circular symbol, and with when you're standing within that glowing sigil on the ground, in that space you can cast your spell. So you get your component out, you make your sigil, and then you cast your fireball. So it's like kind of three steps there. Well, no, two actually, you just have to have the component i think on your uh, uh on your in your inventory you don't have to get it out i don't think but anyway uh, so conceptually i kind of like that it adds this kind of ritual element to magic you know and which is a part of of lots of magic of magic in fiction but we take for granted in most video games that use magic that oh you just got a mana bar you know and that's going to run down and you got to drink a mana potion or something like that it reminds me more of the classic D D, where you have to have components you have to prepare your spells in advance the the ones that you plan on casting make sure you have the components and that you've memorized them or whatever in advance there's no memorization in this game but it's a 
similar kind of vibe where it's like you got to prepare in advance. And, and aesthetically, I can understand a draw to that. But for me, with all the other things in this game that require so much maintenance and thought and preparation and it's all an uphill battle, to add that onto it just so I could do, you know, I mean, I guess... I guess the spell damage was okay. I didn't get a real sense of it in the tutorial because I was just up against tutorial enemies. So who knows how representative they were of the enemies I would run into in the in the open world. But uh, it just it, it wasn't worth it to me. Um, and and this is you know you you can't be caught. Uh, what would be what would the phrase be? Flat footed or with your pants down or something, you know, uh, with any of the enemies in this game, even the most basic ones can in just like, you know, three hits, uh, can take you down. So, you know, you don't want to mess around. This is definitely a souls like game in that regard. But I will say when it comes to death, I I've, I've only played dark souls two a little bit. Um, I definitely prefer how death is handled in this game to that game. I played Bloodborne a little bit too, and I definitely prefer how death is handled in this game. You, uh, it's a roll of the dice when you die. You could end up, there's, there's some text comes up that should, that tells you a little story about what happened to you. And it's going to be one of like maybe three to five things, I think. Um, what I got twice when I experimented with dying was that some huntress found me, poured water into my mouth and dragged me back to town. And then basically it loads me into the town, you know, the, the hub town. Um, and I was like, that's cool. I didn't lose any of my, well, you don't gain experience, but I didn't lose any of my money, which really money is, is the closest thing to experience in this game. Cause you, you pay for skill upgrades with money. You pay for all of your equipment with money. So that's the closest thing I, w- I would think to an experience system that I've seen so far. I didn't lose any money. I didn't lose any of my equipment. Um, my backpack was fell off of me, but I found it nearby. Now it's possible that if you take your backpack off while you are fighting, that you would have to go out into the open world to retrieve that. That didn't happen to me. Why would you take your backpack off? Because when you wear your backpack while you're fighting, it slows you down. And so, and this is idea I, I found kind of cool. It's like, okay, we got to get serious. Let's drop the backpack so we can go into cool Kung Fu mode or whatever, you know? Um, so I, I got that in, in watching the preview materials and I was ready for that. I ended up never trying it actually. <laughs> I guess maybe I wasn't ready to let go of my stuff. I'm such a looter. I don't want to lose any of my, my precious things that I find. Um, but anyway, uh, I didn't find death punishing. The hunters found me once. Another time I got dragged to the lair of the creature that killed me. And uh, I had to kind of fight my way out. But the door was right there. And I experimented. I was like, well, what happens if I die here in this lair? It, you roll the dice again. The game just rolls the dice, and I got the Huntress thing again, where the Huntress found me, put water in my mouth, and <laughs> took me back to town. So, And I didn't lose a thing in any of those deaths. I didn't lose any of my uh, character progression in the form of you know uh, possessions or money. So um, so in that regard, I was like, okay, maybe I could do this. You know, Maybe I could take on that bandit camp and only get as far as like killing one of them, but I would loot his body before the others you know, take me down. You know? So maybe I could just make a just inch forward in my progress a little bit that way so it did embolden me a little bit to do that test and realize oh okay this isn't such a you know annoying setback you know especially since it's an open world and so it's not like you know a side-scrolling game where if you die you got to go back and you got to play that exact same thing again no i mean in this game if you want it's an open world you can go do something else for a while or travel in a completely different direction you know, explore something else entirely you know um there's a little bit of story to this game um the the basic premise is that you're part of a tribe and your grandmother 
has had done something in the she's not around anymore but she committed some offense against the tribe that you have a blood debt for like your blood everyone in your bloodline has to pay this debt until it's you know completely paid and so you start the game Having to, you know, basically, you, you, you were part of a, like a, a shipwreck that caused grief to more people in the tribe. And so that like, you know, like totally ratcheted up your debt that you owed. And so you have five days to repay this debt of 150 silver. And, you know, this, there's a night and day cycle in this. Um, so you're on the clock as soon as the game begins. I didn't like that. I don't like the pressure of time. Um, but I'd read before or heard beforehand that if you lose your home, you know, as a result of not paying your debt on time that you can eventually get it back. It's not that big of a deal, but I ended up, you know, within three days being able to pay back my debt um, the debt to keep my house. So, and that's really nice because they got a kitchen in there and you can cook stuff up. That'll be heal you better than just eating stuff raw. Um, or, you know, can just be good for you as opposed to poisoning you because lots of stuff that if you don't cook it, it'll do bad, bad things to you. <laughs> um, but anyway, there, there's not much more story premise than that. You've got a friend that's kind of been outcast and 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 you could go and follow him and go and adventure with him you've got the the chieftain's daughter uh who's going to go off on some holy mission and you can join her and explore you know the theology of the game a little bit which i found to be a little bit interesting um or you can help the the chieftain lady herself and so basically they give you these three different quest lines that each represent one of three factions that you can choose to join. Um, and I don't know if you can join all three factions or not. I didn't get that far because going to any one of those places would involve traveling in areas I'm sure I'm not ready for. And on top of that, I'm not sure if I would be able to find my way there. Okay. Let me talk about this for a second. Um, navigation in this game is a pain. They give you a map but when you open up the map, of course, it doesn't pause, you know, but I've gotten used to that in some games. But it doesn't show where you are on the map. That thing you're so used to seeing when you open up maps and games, that little arrow or whatever that, that indicates you are here, does not exist in this game. And so you have to totally get your bearings and sense of where you are by bringing up the map, looking at some of the, the buildings or locations or whatever, putting down the map, and then just looking around and see if you can figure out where the crap you are. And, uh, I mean, I never got completely lost, but it slowed me down in ways that I personally found irritating. I get the immersion, I get the sense of quote-unquote realism that that could provide for certain players. It wasn't worth the trade-off for me it was not worth it for me um and on top of that the quest log is almost useless almost useless these people would tell me hey i got a quest you can go on and here's some details about it and here's some words in the text that are highlighted in big fat blue letters indicating that they're important and usually you know what that means is okay that they're going to appear in the short summary in my quest log Mm-mm, nah, no, I guess in this game it means freaking get something to write with and jot this stuff down. <laughs> because if you don't, you're not going to know where to go. You're not going to know how to fulfill a quest. I mean, it says go meet this guy in this city. It's in the Northeast. Good luck. Whereas they had given you all these detailed directions about how to get there. Go here, turn left at this, then make a right and you'll see this and go left here. Oh, crap. Oh, craps. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i don't know i don't know um there's no fast travel either um that really really sucks 
uh, it just becomes cumbersome. It just becomes cumbersome. You know, and you might say, well, realism, Peter. Real- okay, well, I also slept in my bed for 16 hours, and that just took me through a one-minute load screen. So we were willing to give up realism there for the convenience of the player. Why, why not fast travel? You know I'm not going to have any problems getting from one side of the town to the other, at least. So let me fast travel to my house within the town. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, and then also for some strange reason, you can only sell certain things. I had this shield. It seemed like a fine shield to me. But I couldn't sell it to the blacksmith. I could sell some other stuff to him. I could sell food to him, for Pete's sake. But I couldn't sell this shield to him. And so it's really hard to make a buck in this game. And when all the mon- when all the, the upgrades are based on the money that you earn, that is a pain. That really makes it an uphill battle. Um, I found myself trying to figure out, can I avoid combat? Can I, you know, they, in their, in their preview materials, they kind of sold this as just being like a normal person in this world. And there were, I guess I felt like with all the crafting and stuff, I think they even said you could be a merchant. Um, I don't, they, they didn't sell that really hard, but I, I'm almost positive. They mentioned the idea of you, you could be a merchant if you want. And I was look. I was thinking, okay, can I do that? How, how do I do that? I can, can I start just fishing and cooking and selling these meals that I make? No, not for anything that's worth anything. Oh my gosh! Um, I went out hunting, and I f- I figured out the cost to make arrows. I first I tried to well I tried to make arrows myself. There's plenty of wood, but I also needed scrap iron, and there was no plentiful source of scrap iron too that would regenerate itself or that I could predictably find so that I could make my own arrows. So really, I had to buy them. For a bundle of 30, it costs 60 silver. So that means each arrow that I fire and don't retrieve and am unable to retrieve is two silver lost. I went out and I found some bird, choco bird type, type looking thing, and I, it was one that I had had a brief encounter with before, and its health bar was still down, which I really appreciate. I was like, okay, so this seems to be a living, breathing world, and they remembered that I damaged this one before. That's cool. Um, but so he'd already been damaged, shot at least once. And then I, I found him. I was like, okay, I'm going to shoot this guy. Three arrows uh, took him down um, it, because he was already wounded. And then uh, I was able to retrieve two of them. So it was a cost of two silver... Actually, probably, you know, four silver because of our pre... Well, no, the previous encounter, I whacked him with an axe before he started hurting me and I had to run away from the choco bird. Uh, But anyway, two silver. um, And then I got two bits of, like, animal carcass or whatever from him that I could go and sell or make something out of. And I broke even on that. I broke even! Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I want to I want to use the bow and arrow because they said if you want you can play this game as being sneaky and firing from far away. You don't have to mix it up in combat. You can build your character to be, you know, ranged and sneaky. So I was like that's my plan with stupid Dark Souls con- combat. You better believe I want to be sneaky shooty from far away. Um but that is evidently not going to earn me the money that I need. So, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So in the end, I gave in and I used a cheat. There was a there's a, a a cheat that was discovered by um Glitch Tutorial is the name of the YouTube user that I got it from. There's split screen co-op in this game, which I didn't explore, but I think is honestly really a cool thing to have in a third person open world action RPG RPG to have couch 
split-screen co-op. That's really cool. But one of the th- exploits you can use is to load up a second character, and they they are started with 27 silver just to start making their way in the world with you. Uh, you can have that character drop their silver and then boot them out of the game. And then you pick up that silver. And then you can load in that person, that character again. It's just a random quicken. You don't have to spend any time making them. They get dropped in. You have them drop their 27 silver again. Then you dump them out of the game again. And so I just put on, I've been binging House of all shows lately. And I just put on a house. (laughs) And I just jumped this uh, random character in and out of my game who dropped 27 silver for me every time. And I racked up over the course of about 20 minutes um, about 1,000 silver. So I feel like I'm set. Hopefully they won't uh, patch that out. I I would think that would be a hard thing to patch out because you'd have to figure out, oh, dang it, my phone. (sighs) Normally I'm not recording at this time. I am running way behind schedule. Sorry, guys. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I I would be surprised if they find a way to patch that out effectively because they're going to always want to give, you know, your buddy player that 27 silver and they're always going to want to give you the ability to drop and share your items and stuff. So I, I think that might be an exploit that is not patched out. And the developers in one of their preview streams did say that there are ways that you can cheese this game. And they're okay with that. And so that might be one of the things that they're just content to be in there. I did find that with one of the larger enemies that I surely was not meant to be attacking, I was able to kind of cheese them from far away with a bow and arrow because they were on the bottom end of a hill that they couldn't quite clamber up. And so I just kept shooting at them. It took a ton of arrows, but I eventually took them down. Of course, the carcass and goods that I carved out of them weren't worth the effort oh my gosh anyway um so uh the the theology in the game is pretty interesting there's a god named like Ilot or something it's a it's a uh polytheistic world but the main god of focus is called Ilot, and it's interesting he had vibes of humanism to me where he was basically advocating uh just being good to people and helping other people be the better people that they can be and we'll together we'll all unite and be the best people we can be and we will make progress and stuff like that and and when my religious friend was trying to tell me you know convince me to come along she was like it's not all you know it's it's not just about um serving uh, the God. It's not not just about serving a God. It's about helping other people and da 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 da. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, um, because you're you're separating those two things, um, you know, serving the God and serving others. In the Bible, Yahweh is a God who we serve by serving others because he loves others and he's given intrinsic value to every human being. Uh, And so we are able to actively serve him by serving other people. So that would indicate that this God um, has an agenda that really is not invested in humans because it's two separate things to kind of serve him and serve other people. It was was an interesting, you know, uh, interesting little facet of that character. Not to mention that all the kind of like the the main uh, beliefs of this religion were all about just serving humans. And like, well, you don't need a God for that. You can use humanism to do that. But what you're left with is humans being the highest good. Um, and that's kind of speciest, if you think about it, at least from a naturalistic standpoint, that's, uh, that's, uh, rather kind of speciest of us to, uh, just arbitrarily say that, uh, the highest good is us. 
<laughs> anyway, um, so wrapping up, uh, it's a game that you know I spent forty bucks for. If I hadn't spent anything on it, I probably wouldn't go back and give it another shot after playing the first five hours. Having spent forty dollars on it, I do want to give it another try. I, I took it off my PS4 for now. Um, because I, it made me want to play another game that I think will scratch the itches I was hoping this one would scratch more effectively. Uh, but anyway, I, I think I'll come back to it at some point. Um, I'm going to wait. This is what I would have, you know, if I could travel back in time and tell myself, I would have said, Peter, wait for a bunch of things. Wait for patches that maybe will improve the graphics. They look kind of sterile and bland. And for a, a game that's about exploration and uh, getting out and traveling outward and seeing what's out there, it would be nice if it looked a little more interesting. Um, and maybe, you know, there will be, I don't know, just some more facets to the gameplay that would be interesting to you uh, if, you know, that'll get patched in later on. Um, wait for, well, wait for a sale, wait for maybe it to be $10, you know, this would be a good game to, to get at $10, um, maybe even to get at $20, uh, but, uh, $40, you know, I'm kind of bummed that I paid 40, you know, um, and, and also wait for the gung-ho hardcore fans of this game that will surely be out there who will make tips and tricks videos and all these guides and things like that so that a player like you doesn't have to bang their head against the wall quite so many times just to make your way outward. Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, those are my final thoughts. I would, though, as part of my summary thoughts, compare this game a bit to Conan Exiles, which I reviewed a year or so ago. Uh, that's That's what I'm currently downloading to my PS4. I haven't had it on there for a little while, and I thought, gosh... You know, I think this game makes me want to go back to that because it was a th- it was a third person open world fantasy RPG. Now in Conan Exiles, you can't play at least to my knowledge. Um, at least last time I played, unless they patched it in, you can't play as a dedicated magic user. You might be able to figure out how to interact with some magic objects or something, but uh, you you're not going to be able to be a, like a wizard or a sorcerer or a witch or something like that. Um, you're going to have to be this kind of barbarian type of character, maybe a roguish type character at most, if you're going to divert from the muscle head. Um, but, you know, in Outward, I ended up deciding I'm not interested in the magic system anyway. So, and then Conan Exiles, you can craft all kinds of stuff. You can hunt and cook your food and you can build your whole base and you can much more quickly mine and craft materials into things that are really practical and useful in a shorter period of time. So there's a much faster sense of progression. And in Conan Exiles, I've just scratched the surface of traveling the big wider world, you know, that's out there. Whereas with Outward, I've, I've barely, you know, gotten very far outside of the town um, just because the difficulty has, you know, has uh, ramped up and, or in, it not ramped up, but it's, it's an up, it's an upward climb so much. And in Conan Exiles, you can adjust the difficulty um, settings and the parameters of the world itself because they treat it as like a they want you to be able to set up your own quote unquote server even on the PS4 where your friends can play with you and you can make your own server rules for how your world of Conan Exiles operates and so you can tailor that world to be what you guys want to experience and man I wish more games would do that you know um, if outward patch that in at some point, I, I can't imagine they would, um, then I would be really pretty excited to get back into that game. But as it is, I'm setting it aside for now and I'm going to play me some Conan Exiles. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. No 
Lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Right now, I'm going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that we can easily take for granted, digging into history and languages when I'm able to to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and then apply some of what God has for us in these words today. I'm not formally trained in scripture. I'm just a guy using resources and a questioning mind to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do. So I hope you're always doing that with me. We are going to the book of James right now, and we've arrived at... James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. We're actually going to spend two sessions on these verses, 19 through 21. And this time around, I just want to focus on what James does not mean by uh, the the expression, save your souls. Uh, So let's look at where that lands. Starting in verse 19 of chapter 1 of the book of James, in the ESV, it reads, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, So like I said, we're going to tackle these verses over the course of two sessions. This time around, I just want to provide context for the last three words of verse 21, save your souls. Then I want to try and help us rightly understand what James means by using the words that he does here. Next time we'll come back to these same three verses, hopefully better equipped to understand them the way that James intends. We've already observed that James is very practical and action-oriented in his writing rather than being very theological and doctrinal. He's been writing about how to endure through trials and how God wants to shape us in this life. There seems to be a transition of thought happening in verse 18, if you look at it, with God's word as a common thread. In verse 18, James affirms the transformation God initiates in believers through his word. In verses 19 through 21, which we're looking at now, James gets more specific about how to receive God's word. Finally, in verses 22 through 25, which we'll get to eventually, he will urge believers to carry out God's word. So being transformed and carrying out God's word is the context here. But if, like me, you happen to have spent early years of your life in the church hearing the word salvation used in only one context, that of eternal life, you might feel like James makes a jarring left turn in verse 21. Uh, You might think, well, what is James talking about here? It might sound a bit like he's suddenly making comments on how we obtain the gift of eternal life. If, like me, you came from that kind of a a, a church teaching background in your younger years or previous to to now. Uh, As I've mentioned before, the word save or salvation is vitally important to understand in scripture if we want to avoid falling into all kinds of mistaken and harmful thinking. The Greek root for this word is sozo and essentially just means to keep safe, to rescue, or to preserve from danger. Heaven, hell, judgment, and wrath are not wrapped up in the definition of this word. That context is added baggage we need to try and remove unless the context calls for it to be applied. 
I've found it helpful each time I see some form of the word save or salvation in scripture to mentally replace it with the word rescue as I'm reading. And then I try to ask myself, okay, rescue from what? Sozo is used several different ways in scripture. It's used to describe salvation from God's judgment, which theologians call justification salvation. We're justified before God. It's also used to describe salvation from our sinful habits and tendencies right now in this life, which theologians call sanctification salvation. Finally, it's used to describe salvation from any presence of sin and evil, something that happens only in the eternal state with God, which theologians call glorification salvation, when we are made into uh, the, the, the greatest and highest version of ourselves, the, 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 the form of humanity that we were always meant to be, our glorified form. Um, so the task of every reader is to determine, based on context, which meaning or combination of meanings is intended by the writer. And it can be one of those meanings or uh, a mixture of two or even all three that's intended. So context has to be how we figure that out. We've already observed that James is writing to believers in this letter, not unbelievers that he's trying to convince to be believers, but to believers, those who already believe, those who have already obtained the gift of eternal life. I think we see that in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then also in verse 18. As I've mentioned elsewhere, the eternal life sense of salvation, which is a combination of the justification and glorification concepts, um, that sense of salvation is a gift that is irrevocably received and cannot be lost or discarded. Now, I'm not going to defend that view again here. I've done it in the past. I'm not going to use our time for that right now, but I would refer you to the following verses for further examination of the issue. John 3.16, John 5.24, Romans 6.23, Romans 11.29, and 2 Timothy 2.13. Those would be my go-to verses when I'm uh, uh, trying to demonstrate that, that that's what Scripture teaches regarding eternal life. Um, but someone might object uh, the, you know, verse 21 specifically mentions souls as the object of salvation. Souls are the immaterial part of who we are, right? So doesn't that mean this verse is talking about our eternal state? Um, well, we have to take a little detour here to look at suche, the Greek word for soul. This word um, can refer to, let's go down the list. First, it can refer to people in the everyday sense. And it's used that way in 1 Peter 3.20 in the ESV. It says, Because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. That's suche being used there, but in the sense of persons, um, which is how it's translated in the ESV. Now, secondly, it can just refer to living creatures, as it does in Revelation chapter 16, verse 3 in the ESV that says, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. So, living creatures. Uh, thirdly, it can refer to physical life. Um, the example of its use that way is Matthew twenty twenty eight in the ESV that says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Jesus gave his physical life uh, on the cross. And uh, let's see here. 
Fourthly, it can refer to the immaterial inner self. And there's two examples for that. The first, Matthew 10, 28. In the ESV, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Matthew 26, 38 in the ESV says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Notice in this last case that Jesus was talking about his inner immaterial self in the context of his current life on earth, not in the context of uh, life after this one, but his current life on earth. So even using this immaterial definition, soul does not necessarily have anything to do with the eternal state unless the context implies it, as with Matthew 10.28. Additionally, how the word is translated uh, to English in various translations of the Bible is not necessarily helpful in interpreting which definition is in play, because no translation perfectly retains every aspect of the original languages. So uh, we should use multiple translation resources, and remember that when interpreting a word, context is king. So far, James Focus has not been about obtaining eternal life, but rather how those who already believe should live. In fact, if we really want to try and force this text to be about obtaining eternal life, then we should really be concerned that it would be entirely based on works. Faith in Jesus isn't even listed as a condition in verse 21 if we try to make the verse be about that. Um, Also, just a few verses before 21, James reveals how sin brings about death which we observed in this context would refer to present spiritual self-destruction or uh, potentially loss of life in some cases. So the most contextually consistent definition of soul in this verse, I think, would be that referring to present internal well-being or possibly physical well-being. Um, I'll try to put some links in the notes in case you'd like to look into this issue a little bit more. So what's in all this for geeks? You know, that this was a big preliminary detour for us to take with this passage. It's this nitty-gritty issue about eternal life, which isn't even the subject of this passage. So in one sense, I'm frustrated to have derailed us from what James has actually been focused on, and I'm eager to get back to that next time. But in another sense, I think this detour uh, is important for us geeks. I think it's vital to understanding this passage, uh, to understanding the rest of James, and to avoiding unnecessary insecurity, which geeks already have in abundance. Now, please don't understand me when I when I say that. I don't take this view of James and my view of eternal life because the alternative would result in feelings of insecurity. No, we, we need to accept the truth no matter how it makes us feel. But I, I just don't think it's true that the gift of eternal life requires upkeep of some kind in the form of behavior modification on our part. I really don't think it's true that God lets go of us forever if we spiral into a bad season of rebellion that happens to come at the end of our lives. And since geeks are often more prone to feelings of insecurity, I want to make doubly sure I don't affirm a view of scripture that will unnecessarily add to that insecurity, especially in the context of a relationship with God. So I appreciate your patience. It may be required again as we get deeper into this book because a lot of misunderstanding about James has been turned into hard doctrine and then widely perpetuated. And I think we need to retrain our brains to see this text as it is. Uh, I hope you'll continue with me as we do that. Next time we'll look at these verses again with the goal of understanding what James really intends to emphasize to us. That will include some thoughts on the nature of anger and its effects on our ability to hear from God and to be shaped by him. That's really important stuff. So uh, I hope you'll return for that. 
feedback. Feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep or change, or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. I was going to do something weird and unconventional as I read that part of the script, but I am running behind schedule. My gosh, I want to be done. It's time for the weekend. Um, let's see here. You can send an email or, or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And as always, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we're serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. I'm so grateful for the relationships that I have built and am continuing to build uh, in in our local church. They have meant so much to my spiritual stability, my spiritual growth over the years, um, and I would just want that so much for all of you as well. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right, I think that's it. Stay tuned after the credits for DS9 Shwarma with Matt McKinney of POSTOS, or jump back to episode 400 if you would like to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this part, 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 part what is this? It's a part, 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 podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it anyway, Shazam! will be the movie that I review. I'm very, very much looking forward to that. I think it has potential to to really be the kind of DC movie that I want that will also appeal to lots of other people. I know people haven't liked the darkness, the heaviness that some of the DC movies have had. And I really like darkness and heaviness, but if I can't get that, I'll just take some weight, some drama. You know, like the X-Men style drama. And I think Shazam, from what I've seen of the preview materials, has potential to be a bright movie, but also one that has heart that has some elements of family drama in it that I think could be really, really cool. So we'll see what happens there. We're also going to continue in the book of James as well. And I, uh, I, I, that's been valuable for me to really dig into. I hope you guys enjoy and appreciate that as we uh, go deeper and deeper into it. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade Insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. I'd be so grateful for you in that. Uh, you can also help this work by leaving a positive review of the Christian Geek Central podcast on iTunes or other podcast services. Just one or two sentences is all it takes, and it's a great way to help us grow and offer more content to more people. You can also just share on social media when there's something cool on the podcast or the YouTube channel or something like, that's cool. I would love it if you would just post really quick on Facebook or social media, wherever you're doing your social media stuff, just the word of mouth stuff can just mean a ton. So I would really appreciate you just sharing with those in your particular circle what you appreciate about Christian Geek Central and or Spirit Blade Productions. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at christiangeekcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening.
wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now... All our hopes rest here. And that was the sound of her voice, the second to last episode of season six. Um, that was a pretty good episode. This is all about character again. We've had a lot of the just character stuff lately. Yeah, the, there's Jeopardy in this episode, but none of it is to our crew. Yeah, it's only to the guest star, if you will. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because the guest star, uh, if you ever watch Mad TV, uh, Deborah Wilson, she was one of the regulars on Mad TV. She's a guest star, and we never see her. We only hear her. The title is very fitting. They get a distress call from six days away out in the boondocks of the Beta Quadrant while the Defiant crew is out coming back from a mission. And everyone's tired, tensions are high, but they rally on making this desperate run because she's only got a few days. She's on a, a dangerous world that with limited oxygen and her medication's running out. And so they spend their time, when they finally get their communications fixed, the whole episode for them is spending their time talking to her and actually working out some of their own issues because, they, you know, they talk about how the war has been changing them and they're, they're isolated and their relationship problems with each other and Cisco is not getting along with Cassidy because she's on the ship and he doesn't like her on his ship and, you know, it's the specific things you have to watch the episode to get into. It's all valid. It's all good. Well, and it's, it's rare... That you can make a story work where none of the jeopardy is to your protagonists. Where, where you're basically banking on the audience caring about a uh, character of the week. And like I said, one that you don't even see. But it works. Well, because uh, the woman, her name's Lisa Cusack, she's, a, she's the sole survivor of her ship that crashed in this planet uh, with a weird field around it. Uh... She's actually pretty engaging and entertaining. Uh, you know, she's very, she's a very um, extroverted social person, and so she's like, she's been babbling the whole time, talking to herself, until she finally hears them, and and so they all take shifts, like listening to her and talking to her. And like I say, there's not much to it as far as plot, but it's all about character, as is the B plot, which is all about Odo and Quark. Yeah, and that's pretty amusing too. Basically. Uh, Quark has a rare opportunity to do an illegal thing that's going to make him a lot of money, but he figures out, oh, well, when, when Kira comes into the bar, Odo gets distracted and stops pestering Quark. So he arranges for Odo to be distracted on Saturday night, although Kim and I were finding it funny that they actually use Saturday and Sunday night. Yeah, on, on a, an alien station they use Earth weekdays. <laughs> okay. <coughs> And, uh, so Odo makes his, or Cork makes his deal, and as soon as he hangs up with the guy, uh, Cork comes back and says, oh, it's actually going to be Sunday night because of this and that, and Cork can't get a hold of the guy, so now he has a known criminal coming to the station to meet him, he can't contact him and tell him to not show up, and Odo's going to be on duty after all. So Cork is trying to make do with the fact that he's going to go to jail, there's no way to avoid this. Uh, the only way he can avoid going to jail is if he abandons his whole life, which he won't do, so... And, you know, like I said, there's character stuff, and I don't want to ruin how things end on that. Cork does not go to jail. I'll ruin that for you. Um, 
But yeah, it's it's pretty telling well, about Quark and Odo. And the the concept of that part of the plot is not just that here's Quark trying to make a dirty deal. It's also Jake Sisko is trailing around behind Quark, studying him, learning how to be nefarious for writerly purposes. Although, interestingly enough, Jake really doesn't register in the episode. I think his main purpose is for Cork to say things out loud. Yeah, he's to give there a reason. for Cork to expose it, Because otherwise, Cork would just be doing it himself silently. And, and there, you know, there's one part where Cork uh, needs to be saying things out loud for what happens in the story. Uh, I also don't want to tell you how the Lisa Cusack story ends, but uh, it's a very emotional ending. And if, you know, there's a bit of a weird techno babble thing going on, um, but. I think it still works. I mean, it could have ended slightly different without the techno babble. Well, but also, it's, it's a little bit of the Pixar rule. You know, coincidences that get the characters into trouble are not nearly as aggravating as coincidences that get them out of trouble. Yeah. So when, when a space fart makes things harder for our characters, yeah, it's, it's less aggravating than when a space fart solves their problem. True enough. Uh, yeah, not much about it. There's a very interesting bit of uh, foreshadowing. I haven't watched this episode in a long time. Uh, at, at the very end, uh, after they kind of work out their things, and Chief o- they're, they're, they're having an event at the end of the show, and O'Brien addresses everyone and, you know, and talks about, you know, I want to get close to my friends again because we all might uh, wake up one day and someone could be gone. And it shows, you know... Someone's going to die in the next episode. And this was announced in the previews just after the episode, too. Um, I, I've been reading some other things, and apparently I was one of the few people in the entire world who didn't know who was about to quit, uh, who was leaving the show, because I wasn't on the internet when the show ran. So I was actually surprised. Although I still am proud to say I figured it out well beforehand, but I figured it out just from logic instead of knowing who was leaving the show. But we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a poignant little bit of foreshadowing, and you know, it's mostly it's relationship stuff. It's all characters. Yeah, it's it's hardly one of the great episodes yeah. of DS Nine, but it's very good. And it's not at all necessary for any larger plot. Yeah. Um, really, in no way does any of this come back in the future. Uh, I mean, Cisco comes to a decision at the end, but he's just coming to a decision about resolving a situation that was only in this episode. So that's hardly like a lasting. Real thing. Although, once again, we see Cisco. When Cisco is in a relationship, his romance is just. Matt and I were joking about how romance is Cisco's dump stat. <laughs> it's like he, he he puts so much in his being a good fighter, being charismatic, being smart, all these things, but he has to have something that has to be at his zero. Yeah, all, all those points have to come from somewhere, <laughs> and they're coming from romance. Let me tell you right now. At the beginning of this episode, Cassidy comes in to talk to him in what I think is the mess hall. Yeah. She sits down across the table and she talks to him. And Matt paused the video to say something unrelated to me. And I pointed at the image on the screen of Cisco's expression. (laughs) It's like he loathes her in this moment. His facial expression in that moment (laughs) is best translated as... I am waiting for you to stop talking. You know, it's it's that look on his face of... It's the look you have when your annoying co-worker comes in your cube and just starts running their mouth. And this is supposedly the person he's in love with. 
And he's making that face of, I'm waiting for you to stop talking so that I can go and do something else. <laughs> so, ugh. Yeah, like I say, not too much, not at all essential, but a good episode, and it's got some good emotion to it. Um, like I say, the ending is powerful. I wouldn't want to ruin it for you. Um... Not much more to say about that. Next time is a major, major game changer. One of the big game changers of the story. And the end of season six and the start of the final season of Deep Space Nine. So we'll see you then.